Hello and welcome back to This Is Our Design, Sound On Sight's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I am Sean Coletti, contributing writer to Sound On Sight, and I am joined as ever by my co-host Kate Kolzik, TV editor at Sound On Sight. Kate, do you think this would have been Tina Belcher's favorite or least favorite Hannibal episode? And would your answer to that change if zombies came out of the horses? Well, uh, I think the, the timing of it was very appropriate, given the Equestronauts episode of Bob's this week, this past Sunday. But I think there's not enough butt in this for her. So I think that, you know, if, if we had gotten just a little a little Hannibal butt, that probably would have put it over the edge. But the uh, that scene was too artfully directed for that. So I'm... I want to say yes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pull away because I think it needs just that little extra element. I, that's a perfect answer, and probably the most accurate one that anybody would give to this question. Perhaps because nobody would ask this question. <laughs> uh, this week we'll be talking about season two, episode eight, Sue Zakana, written by Scott Namerfro, Brian Fuller, and Steve Lightfoot, and directed by Vincenzo Natali. And joining us this week. Uh, the co-host of TV on the Internet, and with a recently published piece for NPR, Libby Hill. Hello, Libby, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Okay, so let's get into this. Sue Zakana is a small dish used to cleanse the palate, and in the case of this episode, uh, I would say that it, this kind of functions as a reset for the season as we move on to things other than the hunt for the Chesapeake Ripper. Uh, I force every member of my family to watch this and when I spoke to my mother this morning she said that this was one of her least favorite episodes of Hannibal so far because of how busy it was and how it didn't really commit to telling one interesting story uh, Libby does this episode feel at all like a season premiere to you and do you think it suffers at all from the <clears throat> table setting that those episodes mm. um, often have to do and feel free to, to disagree as I often do with my mother. No, it 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 doesn't. It doesn't for me. Um, I do agree that it's probably my my least favorite episode of the season. Um, it really did not do much for me at all. And while there was that element, as you say, of table setting, of of scene setting for um, what this final half of the season is kind of going to look like, I got much more of a sense of kind of killing time. Like I I didn't feel like there was a lot of movement forward in it it felt yeah a little bit like a reset but a lot more like okay well what if we just kind of did this for a while and and not in a not in a not in a deepening way i also really didn't like how on the nose the the crime of the week was as a metaphor for you know the uh, for will and hannibal's relationship so often when they do those things it's like Something that I don't, even though I know I should be looking for it every time, it's like something that I don't realize until like halfway through what they're doing. But this time it was just right there. And this episode just felt like hitting all of their marks really, really, really unnecessarily hard. And so it just it just lost me a little bit. Interesting. I'm glad that you brought up the how on the nose the the case of the week was. And I, I have that on my list of things that we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, Kate, I wanted you to weigh in on this as well, especially since you've seen so many um, season premieres within the past few months. Yeah, I think that uh, it very much is the start of another, a new se segment of the season. And, uh, and I, I see that, but for me, this is less, feels less like a premiere because Usually with the premiere, unless it's something like Game of Thrones, the premiere is going to be more action packed and it's going to dive in with, you know, usually, especially these shows that go for like the quasi procedural thing where we have the case of the week, but you have the continuing character arcs, which is something that Hannibal has done. Uh, at least it did a lot during the first season. Uh, so usually the, the season premieres are much more arc heavy and much less standalone. So for me, this actually didn't feel very much like a premiere. Uh, more like it, like the the name of the course, a palate cleanser to you know a slight pause in the action to before we dive back in with everything you know all, all of the Will and Hannibal drama. So, uh, and, and you know when I'm thinking about this episode, I I don't disagree that especially the 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 Jeremy Davies and Christy Metopoulos uh, comparison with with Will and and Hannibal is incredibly on the nose, but it 
it didn't bother me at all. And so I've been trying to think about that. That's been my struggle with this episode because there has been comparatively uh, negative reaction that I've seen around, but I actually still really love this episode. And I, I'm not quite sure why the obviousness of that parallel didn't bother me. And I'm not quite sure why Alana continues to not bother me in, in her usage of the season. Uh, but it, but it didn't. So I imagine we'll explore a bit of that this season. Sean, what was your reaction? This is good, actually, because I'm kind of directly in the middle of both of you, I think, because there are things that I really didn't take to regarding the, the case of the week and also Alana, but then there are things that I really liked about both of them in this episode. Um, yeah, the comparisons are, are obviously very striking. We have a character who um, has befriended somebody else, and has been manipulated by that person, and that person has manipulated the situation around them so that nobody will believe or understand what's actually happening here. But I guess it seemed like the appropriate, if overtly obvious, first case for Will to be back on. And I think that it challenged him in a few interesting ways, especially in that last scene where he's debating whether or not to pull the trigger for several different reasons. But Libby, what, what irks you about the similarities there you know it, it's really hard to say like <laughs> for one thing like all of the mental health assistants in that area just seem really bad at their jobs which is kind of concerning on one level but um no i i i it's hard to put into words for me what what it was that just didn't jive there like i just um I just thought that the timing that like that, like you said, like Will's first case back would be, oh, hey, it's actually a case that is an exact replication of your relationship that you've had with Hannibal. And isn't that crazy that you're going to be in a position where you could, you know, shoot this guy in the head like you couldn't with Hannibal? You know, I, I get it. And like, I love this show. It just it was just too much for me and a lot of other and, and while the parallel bothered me, it that that wasn't actually my biggest problem with the episode. And my most of my problems with the episode come from things that are just pre-existing hot, you know, sore points for me that all seem to show up in one episode and in, in an un, really unfortunate turn of events. So the parallel was was just so on the nose and so coincidental. And um, I, it felt like it wasn't handled with the usual finesse. So I, um, I just couldn't get there on it. Well, let me ask you, do you think that this is a bad decision on Jack's part to bring Will back into a consulting position again this quickly? It does seem like a slightly inexplicable decision, honestly, like, um, especially with no conversation to be had. And I realized that I realize why it happens, but at the same time, like mere episodes ago, Jack was talking about how he didn't follow the signs and he pushed Will too hard and and he did all of these things. And, and, and then here we are back at the beginning again. And it's great that everyone's going to try and do better, but we've actually not had a conversation about Will going back to work in an official or an, in an unofficial form. And, and it's just it's all a little strange for me. I think a big part of why I, I was able to connect with this episode is actually the, is Jack. And because uh, I, when I was watching it, that, that opening scene is this is not Hannibal is not a subtle show uh, so much of the time. And this opening scene is not subtle at all. But I think the reason that the incredibly heavy handed uh, you know dialogue from Will didn't bother me is I, I is that I'm not sure where Jack is. And I like that. I like, I don't, if Jack was having that conversation with Will and not connecting to how obviously, you know, how obvious the subtext was for Will about Hannibal, he he's an idiot. And I think that, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's performance means, you know, he's not showing Jack to be an idiot. And so I want, maybe I'm reading into it that, that Jack still has doubts and Jack is, not as committed to the notion of of Chilton being the Chesapeake Ripper as he is expressing outwardly. And, uh, and and so maybe that's why I'm willing to give them so much more leeway with this, because I I I feel like there's more going on than Jack just thinking everything is settled and we're back to normal. And, you know, so I, I'm, I'm curious, is that just me, Libby and Sean? What do you what do you think about that? Is Am I reading it too much into that? No, I was actually really curious about that as well because when i watched it the first time it seemed like in that conversation 
both of them were very aware that they were talking about Hannibal and that it wasn't just related to predators in general. But then we get scenes like Jack, uh, Jack Hannibal and Will at Hannibal's dinner table, and he says that they were wrong about Hannibal. And then later when Alana is interrogating or interviewing, I should say, the social worker um, from behind the glass, Jack says that to Will, that he was wrong about Hannibal again. So uh, I thought to begin with, we were at a point where clearly the second half of this season is somehow catching Hannibal. But Jack seems to not be there or be on board or, or on Team Will, as we've been saying, uh, as convincingly as I thought he was. Libby, what did you think about that? No, I I liked I liked Jack this episode, and Kate, I picked up on that completely. That opening scene is played very ambi- ambiguously with Jack, and um, what I noticed then, then when he, every time he he chastises Will for being wrong about Hannibal or or anything like that, it is in Hannibal's presence. You know, it's it's at the dinner table with Hannibal sitting right there. It's um, behind the glass with Hannibal standing there watching this interview, and um, and and I don't know. It, like he seemed so, if not completely on board with what Will was saying, at least open to what Will was saying when they were fishing, and um, and then he seemed so sed- steadfastly against it. So I. I I don't know what's going on in Jack Crawford's head. I don't know if he's kind of telling everyone what they want to hear because he knows. I'm sorry. Let me back that up. I'm actually my question with Jack Crawford is who is he telling what they want to hear to keep them in check? And if he really thought that Will was still convinced that Hannibal was the Chesapeake Ripper, that would belie some sort of mental instability and so why would he bring will back on which is what makes me think that jack has still has his doubts despite not having any evidence and i like that i i don't want to return to the status quo of no one believing will which it feels like is happening on a lot of different fronts so yeah i i liked the jack i like the jack stuff this episode and i like not knowing exactly where he's at in his own head because i feel like that's probably pretty representative for the character as well all right, let's get to a slightly more controversial character then, and this is Alana Bloom in this episode. And like I said before, there were things that I thought were effective and not so effective. I think that the obvious one is it felt like in that scene she was kind of just there to be sleeping with Hannibal. But then I also really liked the the interview with the social worker, especially uh, that we see her using these clever tactics to kind of put together an opinion about him or to test him to see how uh, psychologically stable he is or what problems that he might have in terms of uh, um, empathy. But uh, is this a hot topic for either of you? And, and did you have any issues with Alana? Libby, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I like, I hate, I hate how I feel about Alana right now. I really do. Like I, I, I always wanted Alana to come around to be in this awesome character. Like, I always suspected she could be. And then she started sleeping with Hannibal instead. And it's difficult because I have all these emotions about this character choice. And all of my emotions should really be at Fuller for thinking, oh, hey, this would be a good place for the character to go. Because um, I just don't think they laid the appropriate groundwork for it. They played a lot of lip service to Alana and Hannibal having a relationship before they had a relationship. But the true love affair on Hannibal has always been... Hannibal and Will, platonic or otherwise. And so to try and and convince us that it's really been a triad this whole time is, I think, slightly disingenuous. And um, when Fuller said in a a recent interview, he's like, well, we had these two sexy actors, so why not have them have sex or something along those lines? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I just like, no, those are all the wrong impulses. So I have very complicated feelings about Alana, but at the same time, those are further complicated by how awesome she was in that interview scene. Like she is good at her job and she is good at what she does. And we just don't see enough of that because she's so busy being kind of a, a nursemaid, love interest mothering character for the two lead males on the show which is just not something that we see from so many of the other female characters so it was so disappointing that that was sort of the road we went down with the main female character but you know um i understand 
not having a problem with it as well because it's a great show. They do great characters. And and my her name just fell out of my head, but she is doing great work in what limited material she has. So, Kate, hmm. tell me I'm wrong. Well, that's the thing. I can't tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Isn't that the problem? Yeah. And, and it's one of those things because I was thinking about a couple different shows. And the actress is Carolyn Devernas, uh, who I think has been tremendous yes, on, on the absolutely. show. I mean, because I, when I think of Alana, it's it's both a testament to the actress's ability, but also a testament to how little they've given her to do. That one of the first things I think about uh, for Alana and and that performance over the course of the series is her like ten second reaction in the car in season one to finding out about about Will and and all of this stuff, because that is the most. In interesting character beat they gave her for mu- much of the first season and this season um, I, I think they've they've used her more in some ways but the way that they've used her has been very much defined by being the woman even in this episode when she's in having that scene with, with Hannibal the sex scene with Hannibal and all of that she's the she's there as audience surrogate more than anything else she's there to say Guys, it's really weird that he tried to kill you and you're doing therapy with him again. And when you have her the scene later when she's in the interrogation room, she's there. The only reason she's there is because she's a woman. And so they want to have a woman interrogate this guy they suspect of, you know, having issues with women and to see how he reacts. And she's really great at her job. She does. She does. She's does exactly what she needs to do to you know to get information about him to get an idea of 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 if this is the guy but again it's the reason she's there and Hannibal or Will is not is because she's a woman and it's that you know somewhat disappointing and i think part of the trouble is that they built this show where three of their four main characters uh, all have the same job and would theoretically fulfill the same purpose in an investigation and it's enough of, enough of a stretch to have both Hannibal and Will consulting on a case. You're not going to have three psychiatrists or, or people who study uh, the behavior of crazy people uh, on one case. And so trying to find organic ways to work her into the narrative has been challenging to start out with. When when Will and Alana both were working at the same facility, you know, she could wander over from her classroom and that could prompt a conversation but now that will's in such a specific place you know you can't even do that and so while we've gotten to know a lot more about jack this season we brought back bella they've you know they've dropped some of that in the past few episodes but we still have a much stronger sense of who he is he's had people he could open up to we haven't gotten that with alana every character that she could open up to that she would maybe open up to is incredibly biased and so that therefore she's not she's not opening up to Hannibal fully because she still has that little bit of her brain that believes Will to some extent or is concerned and she's certainly not opening up to Will because he tried to have somebody killed and so I think that leaves her in sort of a similar position to maybe Joel on Parenthood where we spent the half the season not having any idea where he was at because they didn't give him any characters to talk to we have a little bit of that here with Alana but then it, the her use in the show is not bothering me. I, I'm not having a problem with her scenes until I sit and analyze them later. This is not a Michelle Monaghan in True Detective situation for me. This is not even um, Orphan Black, where the where Paul was such an underdeveloped character that it was incredibly frustrating for me at times. Uh, so so while I absolutely see everything you're saying, Libby, it's not bothering me, and I'm not quite sure why. So <laughs> that was a long, rambly sort of answer. I don't know, Sean. Where are you? Does does any of that make sense? And where are you at with Alana? It totally makes sense. And the point that you make about a handful of characters being in the same position is a really good one. And what's more interesting about that is the fact that, at least in my opinion, I thought that season one did a great job of having Hannibal, Will, and Alana be very different figures for Abigail Hobbs. And whenever any of them had scenes with her and it was just those two characters i feel like they those all contributed in good and different ways and so they haven't really found another character to revolve around in that case in this season and i think that might be a reason why some of the repetitiveness of what these people do might be giving alana less to do less material to work with i guess um 
I guess two things that I did like about that scene, and I guess this isn't really related to the usage of Alana, but I, it was put together really well. It was almost like a, like a psychedelic music video or something. And then um, I also appreciated that Hannibal told Alana that what he thought the only reason Will did uh, attempt to get him killed was to protect Alana as a last-ditch effort. So even now, um, he's continuing to manipulate further and further, which will certainly only frustrate Will more so. But uh, those were things that I thought were enjoyable about it. But you're right. The more you think about it, the the more it seems to fall apart. And I think what you're saying, Kate, is doing this podcast is ruining it for you. <laughs> no, because it, it's just the sort of thing where I knew it would come up. I had so much fun listening to the most recent TV on the Internet, Libby, where you I, I think it was Zach Hanlon was on. Yes. And yes, you guys yes. talked about all those issues with Alana and also with the definitions of masculinity on the show, all this really great stuff about the show. So I'm like. And given what happens this episode, I know Alana is going to come up, and so I need to examine it. <laughs> and I'm left in such a frustrating place with it. You know, I wish I had a, a, a better answer to, you know, to to why it's not bothering me like the way that it should. No. If I just wrote it, wrote down like a list of what they've given Alana to do, and how much screen time, and how she's been defined in each of her appearances in regards to her gender or in regards to one of the two male leads, it would bother me. But in the context of the show, it, it doesn't. Well, no, Kate, I mean, I wish it bothered me less because as much as I have, I feel like I can make an intellectual case about it. That's not what I'm really upset about. Like at heart, it's my shipper heart going, Oh my God, how can you sleep with him? Oh my God. And I don't like, and so then I'm like, okay, well, but this is all happening too. But that is ultimately why I'm mad at her. And number one, it's stupid to be mad at her. And two, like that is just not, <laughs> that's just not an arguable place to come from. So while you are wishing that you were more upset about it, I was wishing I was less upset about it. So there's got to be some happy place for us in the middle. So I think if we just combine our feelings on it, we'll probably cover all the bases. You will end up at Sean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, isn't that the ideal? Absolutely. My happy feelings are that I just excuse it because Hannibal is an amazing show. Like on a, on a lesser <laughs> show, this would be more of a problem, I think. It's kind of a dumb answer, but it's one that I think holds water. And I hope listeners aren't interpreting this as us kind of hating on an episode. This is still a very good episode of television. It's just that there are some issues that I think are worth thinking about at this point in Hannibal. And um, this might have been a lesser episode of Hannibal, to be specific. And when we talk about the gender issues, or the issues with Alana and how they relate to gender issues, I think it's very important that the season has also given gave us so much more time with Beverly. And now they've introduced uh, Margot, who I understand is a is a significant character from the mythology. I don't, I haven't read any of the books. I don't, I don't know the character previously. But introducing another interesting, nuanced uh, woman onto the show in what appears to be a recurring role, I think, also certainly helps with any of the the gender issues I may have with Alana. Margot brings up a lot of interesting aspects, I think. Libby, have you read Thomas Harris novels? I have not, but I have um, been transcribing Todd's interviews with Brian Fuller on an um, episode-to-episode basis, and um, he talked about Margot um, in this latest interview and and the changes he has made to the character for, for some particular reasons. Um but but she's she's well and and also one of the the big things about Margot and um, her brother showing up now is that she was in in Harris's books she was in in therapy with Hannibal when she was a child so we're already fussing with that timeline um, in this world so there there have also been other changes that have been made and and I think that um, that I, I agree with the changes that he made but I have not read Harris's work so. Sean, what do you, maybe you want to explain? Yeah, I don't want this to be, like, spoilery. I'm, I'm trying yeah, to spoil anything. But, like, it's hard to say that it would be just because Brian Fuller has license, and we don't really know what he's going to do with certain characters. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, Margot, like you said in, in the books, she was a patient at a much younger age. She was sexually abused by her brother, uh, Mason. And that had, like deeply psychological effects for her in terms of establishing her gender identity. And so I think that that 
ties in incredibly well just based on what we're talking about. Um, but without going into too many of the specifics there, I, I wanted to talk about her scenes with Hannibal as a patient of Hannibal's right now and maybe think about what he sees in her because it's suggested that were she to ask him to go kill her brother, he might agree to do that. And we've seen Hannibal just absolutely detest people in general and human beings, um, and specifically some patients from season one. But here he seems curious, not necessarily in the same way that he is with Will or was with Will, but there's some kind of relationship that's being established based on who those characters are. They, they each seem to surprise one another in both of those scenes, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Kate, what did you take away from this portrayal of this character, having not known anything about her? I thought, uh, well, that's a memorable introduction, first of all. Um, and again, water imagery all over the place this this season. I mean, last season, too, but all certainly water imagery all over the place in this episode. Um, but the... You know, when when you contrast her with some of the other patients, what comes to mind for me is that Hannibal just he doesn't seem to have any patience for weakness, and uh, I think that's the big difference I see between Franklin, say, and uh, and Margot. Franklin was a much more pathetic figure who was much less in control of of himself and his situation. Whereas Margot, the reason she's in therapy is not because she was assaulted. It's because she tried to kill her brother. And so she took power for herself and it didn't work. And I'm sure we'll find out more about that. But that's a contrast I see. She took action. Um, and she also, she fits for me very much in the mold of of uh, the, the Dr. Uh, de Maurier, for example, um, and, and in even maybe Alana, there's, it seems like he has a type that he likes. Will's not that type, but he, he seems to have a type of at least woman that he attaches to or that he finds interesting. And, uh, the, the Clarice from Silence of the Lambs kind of fits into that to some extent as well. Uh, but, th but that's, those are the things that I was thinking about with this character. And also, uh, it just, I enjoyed the, um, we, we pretty recently on the DVD shelf, uh, about six months ago, covered Carrie, the 2002 version that was written by Brian Fuller and uh, featured this actress as well in that. So it was kind of fun for me to think about that as well when I was watching those scenes. Yeah, I thought Catherine Isabel was really good in this role. Uh, a couple things, other things that I'll mention, maybe okay, this might be spoiler. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, like a couple weeks ago, I think we got a scene when we were going through Hannibal's house. I think this was as he was leaving, Alana sleeping. Uh, there was a suit of armor, Japanese armor, and that was kind of a call to Hannibal Rising. And I'm wondering, because this is all; these are all events that have happened prior to all of this in the chronology, but uh, Hannibal had a sister, and the story there in Hannibal Rising was really interesting. And so I think that he might be predisposed to also relate to Margot in some way and might see her as some kind of substitute there. But that's something that I'll be curious to see how, how Fuller tackles because he's not really used much of Hannibal Rising for appropriate reasons because it's not that good. But I'll be on the lookout for that. The other thing, there was a nod to the source material, the fact that we see Mason's eel. He has a pet eel in the book, and we see two eels in the tank there. Um, was was really nice. But were there any other thoughts on, on Margot uh, in this episode? Should we say who's been cast in the role of her brother? Um. Is that a is that a spoiler? I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's that's been it's, it's been out, out there, there for it's so there. for months and months. Okay, well, it's, keep anxiously it was, awaiting his arrival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the wonderfully talented Michael Pitt. So I think that that actor fits in really well with this universe, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I, but if, I, I do have. Can I? I'm sorry to interrupt. Can I? I do have. I uh, a couple thoughts on Margot, if I could. Absolutely. Um, and this is just like really quick, like. I actually, I, I I do see a direct line between Margot and Will. Like, I think that Hannibal thrives in these people that he thinks that there is darkness inside that he can draw out. Like, he's trying to make a bunch of little clones who who want to embrace their darkness. Like, he searches and he identifies and then he wants to activate that to, to more appropriately destroy. And... And he likes that because he recognizes himself in it. So I think that's, 
I think that's where Margot and Will are similar. Margot is just more comfortable embracing it. She's further along than Will ever was, I guess. Um, now, whether Will became that way because Hannibal manipulated him into that place, that's uh, hard to say. But that, I mean, that, those are the similarities I see between Margot and Will. No, those are all good points. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about Jeremy Davies as Peter in this episode and the case of the week in this instance. Uh, Libby, how does this rank for you in terms of all of the elaborately staged uh, murder scenes that we've seen? Because this one ne- isn't necessarily a a complicated corpse, but it's a complicated means through which we see the corpse. It's very... <laughs> It's very elaborate. A lot of things had to go right in that setup with the dead horse and the, like it, it. I don't know. It didn't do much for me. Like I, I have such, I have animal issues, and while you know, like I just this was hard for me. This was a really, really hard one for me. So um, that was part of why I, I couldn't engage at this episode. It was definitely a significant tableau. Um, maybe even on on par with the um, angel makers, but wow, I just um, the makeshift turducken just didn't do it for me. I'm afraid. Oh, I didn't think of that. And then I was looking on on Twitter after the fact because uh, because the live tw- I love the live tweeting that that goes on, but I can't actually watch it live because I'm <laughs> there's too much going on on the screen for me to actually follow. But uh, I highly recommend if people want to check out what uh, Brian Fuller puts out there as well as oh good Aaron Abrams something Abrams yeah. yes his tweets are also yep. hilarious and wonderful uh, so I highly recommend people check them out when I saw the traducan thing it just about killed me because that hadn't occurred to me but uh, I actually I really enjoyed these uh, tableaus but more than even the specifics of the tableaus I loved that we got something that wasn't by Hannibal I I really needed a break from the elaborate ridiculous Hannibal tableaus because this is something that, you know, it was starting to break the glass for me where I was thinking about how did that, how did Hannibal possibly do this without being seen in any, you know, it was starting to bother me, uh, magical plastic suit, you know, aside, I just, you know, it was, it was too much. And so to have a complete holy shit moment with the bird <laughs> uh, that wasn't caused by Hannibal and was actually something being alive instead of dead was a really pleasant surprise and uh, so, so I actually really enjoyed it. It doesn't make any sense. They, there was no scar. They had to op- cut her, her open, break through the the chest bone, and I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense at all. And yet, I'm willing to give it to them because it was so unexpected, and because the the actors were so hilarious with the whole heartbeat thing. Uh, I was just I was willing to go with it and give it to them. So. Yeah, and maybe I don't. You know, maybe it has to do with animal issues. Maybe it has to do with just having a break from Hannibal's creations. But I, I actually really enjoyed uh, the direction this week. That was a really big missed opportunity in not using a three-eyed raven to come out of the chest. <laughs> well, I did so, think of Clarice Starling, right? Isn't that... And it was a starling, was the bird? I know nothing about birds, but you were probably right, yeah. I saw something on Tumblr about that, but I could be. It, they could have been lying. All right, perfect. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed... Uh, Peter, as a character, we've talked a little bit about um, the, the overt similarities, but I thought that Jeremy Davies played him really well. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of those final minutes in which um, in which Will is struggling with the figurative door that he's supposedly walked through. And Hannibal is actually the one who talks him down, which I thought was interesting. And then we get a, a really strange, maybe it's not strange, but it's... Uh, not the first time we've seen a very abrupt ending to an episode. At least I found it to be rather abrupt where Hannibal speaks to Will and compares him to like a caterpillar that he has fostered into whatever this entity he is now who is beyond his control and is unpredictable. Um, but did, did any of that work for you, Libby? I, um, I did like that. I'm sorry. I did like that final scene. If only because it shows that what Will um, set out to do with entering back into therapy is happening. Like Hannibal is letting that veil fall a little bit. He's he is. That was, I think, the first time we've ever seen Hannibal nod to what 
he has been attempting with Will. Um, it was the first time he's 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 basically said, okay, yeah, like I am trying to make you into something I think is better. Um, only Hannibal's better is 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 not better. It's no one's better. <laughs> um, so I, I liked that final scene, and I thought it was a very a, a very interesting choice to end on what seems to be such a um, such a subtle note, and until you start thinking about it, and you're like, "Oh my god, that's actually kind of it's actually kind of major that he's like, oh my god, like you know, I've I've wanted you to become this, and I can't control what you become, and it's very exciting for me." Um, <laughs> he's a proud papa. <laughs> yeah, right. Like he, he's just like he's gonna burst those buttons on his well-made suit. But um, I, I, I'm still very invested in Hannibal and Will because I, I think what makes season two so good is that we are finally seeing Will figure out how to be a player in the game as opposed to just being the game. Like um, he is slowly but surely using his beautiful mind to figure out you know how how can i take down this this man who may be the devil himself you know um and and that will always fascinate me and as long as that is always the heart of the show that that central conflict i don't see a way that no matter how upset i get about atlanta no matter how upset i get about this or that or death tableaus or animals die you know like it's it's i'm still gonna be there for that because that is something that I don't see on any other show. Okay, you mentioned the directing, and I think in that scene there was one of my favorite shots of the episode. It was where uh, the social worker has climbed out of the horse, and Hannibal's speaking with him, and the camera just pans over as Mass Mickelson steps aside and, and Will's back there with his gun. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about those final min- minutes that we haven't talked about? Well, I have a... I have a- music comment on that scene but i'll save that for later and uh also i mean i what i really like about that scene besides the fact you know how wonderfully it's shot i love the i love that again they're calling back to the pilot and will's shooting of garrett jacob hobbs here we have him deciding he's going to just kill this guy kill this man i mean so that that progression from the pilot to to now i mean is is significant it's very interesting it continues to be one of the main threads of the show how comfortable is this character with violence and what does that say about him and what does it say about who he's becoming and who he's been but i think what this last scene also does is level the playing field in a very significant way because the first significant part of the episode is all about will talking you know will's really confident he's an excellent fisherman he's laying you know he's using live bait he's using himself as bait he's all these ideas about how he's going to lure in hannibal and get the information and 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 he seems incredibly confident so to to show him in that final scene out of control of, of of what he would have said control was at the start of the episode, I think was really significant. So it's a much more even and interesting dynamic than if it was just straight up, no, Will's okay now, he's back to himself, and he's going to take on the world. He's going to take on Hannibal and bring him down. He wishes he could be that that cold, cold, uh, cut and dry about it, but he but he can't. He's still in a significant amount of 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 uh, processing of everything that's happened to him. All right, you have now opened the door for Kate's classical corner. What can you tell us about the scoring in Suzakana? Well, uh, I'll start out with the the music that is uh, the classical music that's used in the episode. The opening is Beethoven, uh, not the opening, I should say the 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 preparation of the fish of the trout is Beethoven Piano Concerto number one. It's the orchestral introduction, and then when the piano comes in as they transition, that's actually from the the second movement. Uh, so it, it is, uh, in the, then throughout the dinner scene, you have the second movement underneath and that, I mean, that's a, it's a gorgeous piece, but it's very presentational. The, the knife chops are time to hit or their hits, I should say, uh, time to match with the, the timpani, uh, which was, you know, a nice little fun thing. And, uh, just the, the, the stateliness of that introduction, uh, uh, is is very very much fitting with the scene that it's used in, and also even just that 
this is an introduction for a soloist to then come in. And so this is the preparation of the meal and then he presents the meal. So that's when it's the solo instrument along with the accompaniment. So, you know, there's that. The other significant piece in this is uh, the Foray Requiem in Paradisum. Uh, Requiem is a mass for the dead, Roman Catholic mass for the dead. And this is the music that's in the car as Hannibal and Will drive to, you know, to, to go get... Uh, to go get Jeremy Davies and uh, Demontopoulos out of the horse. Um, and the, in the In Paradisum, uh, the full title is In Paradisum Deducant Angeli, because I use real Latin, not church Latin, um, which is May Angels Lead You to Paradise. That's the title of the movement. And the orchestration of it is very much... Uh, fitting with this theme that I was seeing in the episode of Christmas. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, the the opening of that feels very much like Angels We Have Heard on High, so tying in with, um, you know, May Angels Lead You to Paradise. And, of course, uh, Hannibal is guiding and leading Will on this journey. And and Will thinks he's guiding Hannibal on the journey the whole way. So, they, you know, there's there's that as well. Um, also, in the, the sex scene with Alana and uh, and Hannibal, to tie in with all this water imagery, I like that the, there's the use of the water glasses in the scoring, which gives it a nice, very uh, interesting sound. And I haven't noticed that as much in the scoring before, so that felt like a new element that I enjoyed. Also, the scoring... Um, picks from when we go from the car to the barn uh that picks up on the vocals uh in in, in to transition into the more standard scoring it picked up on the vocals from the foray which i enjoyed and then the last thing i'll mention is in that confrontation scene at the end underneath the other more typical percussion stuff that's going on you can hear that half step drop the duh um in 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 part of the the sound wall of the scoring there, and it's it, to me at least, I th I'm pretty sure it's the same half step drop as we see here in the credits, and so to the opening credits with the blood and everything. So to when we have Will pointing the gun, when we have him deciding to become a straight up killer, we hear that same motif from the opening theme. So I thought that was really cool too. Perfect. When was it, what was it called again? When angels what? May Angels Lead You to Paradise is the translation of the full title of the In Paradisum movement of Foray's Requiem. Loved it, and that's my extensive analysis of the music. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to our second recurring segment of the podcast, The Devil in the Details. So any little details that stood out, be they visual, aural, or whatever, acting, something like that, I'll begin by saying... Uh, we've talked about the the animals in this episode. I was glad the cat was still around there at the end. It hadn't escaped or left, so that was nice. Uh, Libby, were there any details that stood out to you in this episode? It took my second viewing to notice it, but um, when the social worker comes out of the horse, Hannibal is busying himself petting a sheep, which was just the greatest thing and made me laugh really, really hard. Um, just because he just seemed to, Mad seemed to be really into like loving on this sheep. And it, um, <laughs> it just was basically everything I love about this show in like a single frame. Um, yeah, but good on Jeremy Davies for bringing his twitchy best to this role, by the way. We'll just keep this on rotate. So, okay. Um, okay. I've got uh, several things here, uh, I'll start with the clothes because I loved that when we first see Hannibal, he's back into his his suit. He's preparing his meal. But the last few times we've seen him in his kitchen, in his house, he's been much more dressed down. And so now Will's back. And so he's all gussied up and uh, he, he's he's uh, he's so nervous that the, the like he's he feels really excited and nervous and fussy in you know, like if you that tie that tie was gorgeous but so ornate and over the top and it doesn't quite i mean it looks wonderful but it's not the color choice you would necessarily think of with that suit uh, and he's dressed in neutrals in, in neutral tones like his suit is like the more the and then he wears a brown check suit later which is a far cry from a couple weeks ago where he had that ridiculous amazing incredibly confident black and red like really bold uh, suit, and so this was, you know, he when he's when he's pouring the food, the 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 broth or whatever for Will, it's like he he's like a, like either a, like a, a mother hen or he, it's nervous first date or he's like he's just so fussy about it. It's great. He's so excited that the you know the gang's all back together, and and, and I, so I, I really was enjoying that. Um, bit of of clothing consciousness, as well as also later Margot 
in that specific, very specific red against the dark red of the wall, I thought was really uh, a very strong visual as well. Uh, shall I throw it back to you, Sean? I've got a few more things. Uh, yeah, wanna... we'll, spin it, we'll spin it around a few times. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple ones. The Again, touching on the directing, I really enjoyed the shaky camera whenever Peter was kind of struggling to contain his stress levels. I thought that that worked really well. Uh, actually, I think I've the director Vincenzo Natali, I believe he directed Splice, which I had have seen. I think that was the only one of his films that I had seen, but he, I think he did a fabulous job in this episode. The other thing was uh, the fireplace. So there's definitely one in Hannibal's dining room that we see, and there's also one in the bedroom when we have the sex scene. Is that normal? Do houses <laughs> new, do houses usually have that? It's I, Hannibal, I honestly come don't on. Know. <laughs> of course he has two fireplaces. Okay, he probably has. He probably has more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those are a couple more. Uh, Libby, did you have any other ones? Oh, my God, I didn't take notes. Like, I didn't do proper homework for the podcast, so I am happy to just sit and listen to your guys'. That's, that's okay. We could do a lot of talking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to, to condense, because, yeah, it's easy to just keep going on and on. Um, I loved... The Im- like the the specific kind of snow, the fact that they had snow going on at the end of that opening dinner scene was it just felt like it's Christmas. The it's Christmas for Hannibal. It's just the the staging of it, and he's just so happy and and uh, proud and excited. He's sitting down at the head of the table, and behind him, very gently, a light snow is falling. And then you, there was also a bit of a bell in the like there was like a Christmassy kind of bell thing. At least this is what I was hearing uh, at the end of that scene too. That kind of tied in with that. Also, of course, you have the fish eating his own tail. You know, so that that's interesting there. Um, with um, oh, another scoring thing that sort of verbal duel with Hannibal and Will going back and forth. There was like a nice percussion hit each time. It was like Will would say something and then a percussion hit and then Hannibal says something. It's like, ha It's like a clinking of swords. It was it was really nice. Um, also, the there's the recurring imagery of the eyes and the, and the recurring imagery of the fish with Hannibal. Very effective. And then the last thing that I will say uh, here is the in the at the very opening we have two sets of footprints and Jack's are heavy and steady and even leading right to him. Will's start out steady. They be, they they become uh, uneven and uh, they they're they're filled in. It's like he sort of stumbled and then right when we get closer to where he is, they're steady again. So I thought that was a fun little detail as well. Uh, the last thing I'll mention, which has nothing to do with the composition of the episode, but I thought was interesting nonetheless, was this episode saw a bump in ratings, which is always nice when Hannibal does that. It was almost back up to three million. Woo-hoo! So, yeah, that's obviously five hundred thousand listeners of the podcast deciding to tune in live. So we're <laughs> we're really reaching the people. That's great. So let's see. I think that was it. Do either of you have anything else that you wanted to mention about this episode before we wrap up? I think that's everything for me. Yeah, if I say anything else, I'll just keep going. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so we'll finish here. Thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. Kate and I will be back to discuss next week's episode. She is a Kana, so be on the lookout for that. Feel free to ask us some questions via Twitter or anything else or leave us an iTunes rating. We did get another iTunes rating. Uh, which is great. Thank you from the user My Vogue and Poetry, who also talks That's to us. Carl. On, yeah, Carl, who talks to us on Twitter. Uh, he said, the Sound on Sight TV podcasts are the most entertaining companions to TV, no question. Sean and Kate and a guest do a great job diving deep into each Hannibal episode, helping to dig into the details of the episode that you can miss when viewing through your fingers. Also love Kate's analysis of how music is used in each episode. This is intelligent, critical discussion, well worth a listen to enhance your enjoyment of Hannibal. So thank you very much for that, Carl, and we appreciate the ratings. Um, I believe that was the only major review that we got. There was some more talk on uh, Reddit, so it's always nice when we get a mention there. So thank you again. Uh, Libby, where can the listeners find you online? They can find me on Twitter.com at, well, Midwest Spitfire. And um, I actually also have a Tumblr where you can find links to my work if that ever happens again and where I sometimes vomit words and that is midwestspitfire.tumblr.com 
and and I'm just gonna plug for Livy here. She wrote this great piece uh, for NPR uh, about uh, RuPaul's Drag Race and WWE Raw, or just the gender polit- uh, comparisons and gender roles for for men, uh, comparing and trusting. And it was wonderful. And you guys should all go check it out. And I also wanted to say thank you again for coming on to the podcast this week, and especially because I believe you're our first female guest to the podcast, which I don't know if that probably doesn't change Yay! the way the discussion goes or anything, but uh, <laughs> oh, well. it's still good to have that representation. Absolutely. Well, I had a great time, and I love Hannibal, so if you're ever scrambling for a guest, I'm more than willing to return. If we you're more you than willing to, to have me, I suppose. Yay! But yeah, we might have to have a roundtable where it's just a hundred people talking about it. That'd be a lot of fun yeah. and probably really easy to edit as well. Uh, Kate, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me at Sound On Sight, uh, uh, reviewing, well, actually, hopefully by the time this is up, my review of the Orphan Black premiere will already be up. So excited to have that show back, as well as right now, uh, Parenthood just finished up, but Grimm is still going. So that's the other show that I'm reviewing at Sound On Sight. You can also follow me on Twitter at The Televerse. And of course, The Televerse is the weekly TV podcast that Sound On Sight puts out that uh, I am the co-host of. So you guys can uh, find that every Tuesday if you want to hear me talk more about the rest of television. Oh, and then of course there's the Game of Thrones podcast that goes out every every Monday or Monday or Tuesday, talking about the previous weeks or the, that week's I should say episode of Game of Thrones. So lots of podcasting, lots of uh, just way too much of of my thoughts on TV. So you can check me out all those places, and please do drop me a line on Twitter if if you're on Twitter because I always love talking with you guys there. There is no rest of television. It's just Hannibal. Don't try and <laughs> fool yourself. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at my name, at Sean Coletti. My Hannibal reviews go up weekly at tvovermind.com. Otherwise, my stuff will appear on sound, at Sound On Sight or on my blog, thereisnothingon.com. Uh, but thank you again for tuning in. This has been another episode of This Is Our Design. Slide through my